All right, I'm going to uh, begin reading in verse 11 again. Uh, we we kind of left off at the end of 11, but that'll be fine. So Romans 13, verse 11. And again, I'm reading from the uh, Christian Standard Version. So it'd be a little different if you have the ESV. It says, besides this, knowing the time, it is already the hour for you to wake up from sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is nearly over, and the daylight is near. So let us discard the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk with decency, as in the daylight, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual impurity and promiscuity, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no plans to satisfy the fleshly desires. So here at the end of this chapter, Paul goes back to reminding them that Christ is going to return. Clearly, we don't know when that's going to be. Um, and it is true that every day that goes by, it is one day closer. Because we know that there is a set date that he's coming, but we don't know when that is, and it's not going to be revealed to us. So Paul then uses this as an opportunity to kind of help them with just the way they approach life and the way that they would uh, think about life and the various activities that we get involved in. Because he's not, not telling them that since Christ is going to return very soon, sell everything and basically go to the mountains and wait for him to come. Uh, we continue to live the life that God's called us to live, fulfill our responsibilities and all the various things we have to do. But the idea is, is that we are, we are thinking about the way we spend our time. Um, and of course, what he uses here is how most people were living. During this time, it's not an unusual thing, but during this time, we know that life was really very, very difficult, very physical, uh, because they obviously they didn't have a lot of the conveniences that we have. You know, when it came, whether you were farming or whether you were raising animals, all those kinds of things, it just required a lot of hard physical labor. Everything was done manually. You know, if you, if you needed a well, you had to dig the well by hand. Um, you know, you got to dig pretty deep to get to the water. Uh, when, you, when you till the land, you got your animal, and then you're out there doing it. You're not, you know, driving a tractor and able to, to, to till the ground and create eight, 10, or 20 rows all at once. It was pretty much one or two at a time, and that was it. So uh, life expectancy was not as obviously as great as, as it is now. Uh, you did have individuals uh, who, did, who, who might live in their 80s. Most of those individuals, when you kind of look at how they lived their lives, were those who lived in the city, those who tended to be a little wealthier. There were some individuals who we would say lived a hard life that, that lived a long time, uh, but that was never the norm. Uh, a lot of people would die in their 40s, 50s. This is how it was, and that was just because of the kind of life they were living. So as a result of that, uh, I guess people now, if you were to kind of summarize the way they lived, they lived hard and they partied hard is kind of how it was. So when they would go drinking, they would drink. Uh, until they were just plastered, you know, that kind of thing. It's, everything was just always done in, in that way. Of course, the Jewish community would have been very different than that. Uh, but nonetheless, that was kind of the, the main uh, mindset. So he makes this comparison between the night and the day. Uh, and the night, uh, when it's used in this way, is that which represents um, evil. Here, he talks about the night nearly being over, so daylight is near. So as a result of that, then think soberly. So, throw away the deeds of darkness, you know, the things that men normally do at night, you know, mankind does at night, 
and put on the armor of light, which is the truth of Christ. So the way that looks practically is, is you live decently, um, like you would in the daylight, meaning people can see you. So a lot of things people do at night, they do it because they don't want to be seen. Uh, the idea here is that then in the daytime you want to put on, you know, your best front. That's the idea. So what he's saying is, is that's how we should be thinking, is that way. So what does it mean then to walk decently? Well, he tells us, you don't walk in drunkenness. Um, an individual, even back then, if an individual was drunk during the daytime, he would have been considered a loser. You know, they say, well, nobody does that. You got too much to do in the daytime uh, to, uh, to live that way. So don't be a drunkard. Uh, not sexual impurity, or, and then he includes promiscuity. Uh, the quarreling and the jealousy, all those types of things. He just says, put that away. Uh, make no plans to satisfy the fleshly desires. And the idea is to think about Christ. Again, remember, I've told you this several times before, and that is one of the unique aspects of Judaism and then Christianity during this era was that all these other religions that people were following never had any requirements or standards for anyone to follow when it came to everyday living. You know, if you, would, if you worship at the Temple of Venus, there was no class on marriages. There was no class on parenting according to the wisdom of, of Venus. It just didn't exist. Um, there was no um, expectations place on anyone. For the Christian, beginning with the Jew first, uh, you know, they were, they were called God's chosen people. They were, uh, their community was built around the law of the Old Testament that was given by God, and one of the reasons was they represented God, so they, so they needed to live in a particular way. Uh, for the Christian, uh, we say that we believe in Christ. We have the Spirit of God living in us. We talk about being adopted by, by God. So the idea then is that we are to live as if that's true, and that would then mean certain things. And the idea there is that you would emulate your Father in heaven. So this was a concept that for, at least for those who were not Jewish, when individuals became Christians, that was still a new idea. That just, that just wasn't the way they thought. So they're being taught this, um, whether they were living in Rome or living somewhere else, there was this idea was being promoted and being taught to them uh, that, that Christianity, this true religion, uh, included every aspect of life. And it's still something that we need to emphasize today, not, because, not to, only because the Bible um, does emphasize that, but it's because we have a natural tendency to put religion to the side. You know, there's a lot of people we know, we know people who do that. We may have done that, where our religion is reduced to what we do on Sunday. You know, well, I, you know, you'll hear people say all the time, well, I go to church on Sunday. You know, and sometimes we're tempted to say, well, whoop-de-doo, you know. You know, that anybody can do that. It's not about just going to church on Sunday. You know, it, it matters how you treat your spouse. It matters what, how you raise your kids. It matters how you treat your parents. Uh, it matters how you work. It matters that you work. Uh, it matters if you are generous or if you are stingy. All those things matter to God. God has a standard that he's given us. And so we have a natural tendency as human beings, because of the flesh, to think of our religion as being just a, a segment of our life, instead of being that which is to dictate every aspect of life. You know, that's the paradigm uh, that we have. And as we've been dealing with on Sunday mornings now, 
even the way that we think about suffering, the way we think about the pressures of life, just the way we think about it, as well as how we respond to it, God has explained to us how he expects us to respond to life and how he expects us to live life um, and that kind of thing. So here he introduces that idea. There's a phrase he uses here, and it is developed uh, in many places throughout the New Testament, and that's this idea of putting on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a, that's a very biblical language, uh, to put on the Lord Jesus. The idea is, um, or the, I guess the concept would be, in the way that you would put on certain clothes um, to, uh, and, and those clothes might represent something. Like if you, if you worked for the king or if you worked for Caesar and you had a, a high position in the palace or in the government of Caesar, you would wear certain kinds of clothing and then you were expected to behave in a certain way when you put that on. So that's kind of the analogy there that he's using. So you put on Christ uh, and you want to behave in a certain way. If you are a soldier, that's why even today in our military, even though a lot of things are changing, there are certain things that if a soldier does in uniform, he'll get in huge trouble. He might still get in trouble if he's out of uniform doing certain things. But if he does certain things in uniform, that's a huge no-no. Uh, and there are certain rules for that. It, and, and we know, we can easily see that when our, when our troops are in other countries and people recognize it's a uniform of the United States Army, United States Navy, etc. But even here at home, if you're in uniform, you are expected to behave in a certain way. Um, in fact, there, was a, there used to be a standard, I think it's changing more and more, but there used to be a standard of just, in general, conduct that was expected of soldiers. And I'll give you an example. We had a, I got a call, uh, I think I shared this story with you guys last year. I don't remember anymore, but anyway. Uh, I got a call from a female officer. There was a lady who had been arrested. She had violated a court order. It was a restraining order. Uh, what happened was is she and her husband were separated and he put a restraining order on her. She, she was from Korea, so she spoke very little English. She didn't know what that was. She went to go see him at work. The reason why she went to go see him was because he hadn't been helping out. The kids were hungry, they had three kids. I mean, there was just a lot of problems there. He didn't want to deal with this, so he put a restraining order on her. She didn't know. He called the police. She violated the order, didn't matter. So they arrested her, she was in jail. And so this lady officer called me up and she said, I don't know what can be done. This lady does not need to be here. And so I went down there, uh, kind of got some of the story from the lady officer spoke a little bit to the, the lady from Korea. It was difficult to communicate, but I was able to let her know that I was gonna try and help. So then, uh, but I found out enough, and I found out that her husband was in the army. And I got his last name, because it was, you know, she was married to him. So I got out, you know, just a little bit of information. So then I went to go see one of our classification officers, because he was a retired um, major uh, from the army. And uh, so I went into his office and I said, I need to ask you some questions. And he said, yeah. And so I briefly explained the situation. I said, this needs to be fixed. I'm assuming that in the military, because my dad was in the Navy, I thought certain things could be done, some pressure applied or what have you to fix it. And this guy, the guy told me, he says, oh yeah. <laughs> he, said, he said, this will be addressed immediately. This is who you call, this is who you ask for, and you just tell them what you told me, and then don't worry about it. So I called 
uh, Hunter, I think it was Hunter, either Hunter or Fort Stewart, spoke to a person that's called the provost marshal, whatever that is, and I explained to him the situation and told him who I was, and he said, I'll take care of it. I had no idea what that meant. Two hours later, I get a call from the female officer in the jail, and she says, I don't know how you did it, but thank you. And I said, what did I do? <laughs> and she said, they, she goes, I don't know who they is, but they came and got her. So, oh, she's out? She said, uh, she said oh, yeah, she's, she's been released. I said, oh, that's great. So I went back to see my friend. I said, hey, I said, I said it worked. You know, I did what you said. I called, and um, she's out of jail. And so he said, well, let me tell you what happened. <laughs> and he said, basically, he said, uh, they sent some people to come get her. And at the same time, they probably sent a couple of men to go get him wherever he was and either threatened to arrest him if he didn't come immediately and he would be addressed by the provost marshal in person. And the guy, and he would, be, he would explain the problem and then he would tell this soldier what his option was. In other words, he had one option. This is how you're going to fix this. This is what you're going to do. And he said, so he says, now that doesn't mean they won't get divorced and all the rest. He said, but, he said, the kids will be fed, she'll be taken care of, and, you know, all that kind of stuff, which is great. So the thing was, is in the Army, uh, there is an expectation that as a soldier, you're going to behave and you're going to fulfill certain responsibilities. Um, and that's, that's how it's going to be. And so that's kind of the idea. Uh, you are a Christian. So there is an expectation that we have. That's why sometimes in the raising of our kids, you know, if, if you're, uh, you know, we want our kids to come into the Lord, we still expect them to act like Christians even when they're young, before they come to the Lord. And sometimes we'll tell them, we're Christians. We don't do that. This is what we do. This is why. Uh, that kind of thing. So that's the idea that Paul is stressing here and wants them, wants them to understand. So Paul continues now when you get into verse 14, I mean, uh, chapter 14. And he says, accept anyone who is weak in the faith, but don't argue about issues. One person believes he may eat anything, but one who is weak eats only vegetables. One who eats must not look down on the one who does not eat. And one who does not eat must not criticize one who does, because God has accepted him. So before we go on, a lot of people will already kind of know what that's about, but some people, maybe many, when they read that, they have no idea what's going on there. Like, what is he even talking about? So the main thing with this, because the Bible is not promoting being a vegetarian, uh, the main thing he's talking about was uh, when you would go to the market to buy meat, there was pretty much a set price for the meat that you would buy. But there was a way to get cheaper meat, and that would be to go to either a place in the market or to go to one of the pagan temples, and they would sell meat basically out the back door. And, and what they were selling is, is people would bring a meat offering to the god Mars or to Bacchus or Venus or whoever, and the priests would take that, and then they would sell it out the back door at a reduced price, at a reduced price, because it was considered used, even though it wasn't hadn't been eaten, and people could buy cheap meat. So there was a controversy in the church, um, and some thought it was sinful to do that. 
They, they thought that if I buy this meat that was offered to Venus, that I am condoning um, the worship of Venus. I'm supporting the temple of worship to Venus. And I might even be engaging in worship by eating this meat that's been offered to Venus. Well, when you read through the scripture, you find out that's not true. God doesn't view it that way. Um, but there are some who, because for even though they may hear that and even understand that intellectually, they still feel like they're doing wrong. It'd be similar to uh, if an individual was raised as a Muslim and they become a believer in their 30s. So for the previous 30 years, it's just been the accepted rule that it's a, it's a sin to eat pork, period. So that individual becomes a, a believer. Let's say after a couple of years, he learns that through the reading of the Bible that it's not a sin to eat pork. He can eat it and he can eat whenever he wants to. He can eat every day. He can eat bacon if he wants to. He can have pork. But when he, each time he tries to do so, he feels guilt. He feels like he's just doing wrong. So, the advice in Scripture then is you don't want to violate your Scripture. Now, he, his emotional state may change. In other words, 10 years later, he may no longer feel guilt, and then he can eat pork, and he's fine. But let's say that never changes, or we're still in the early part. If he still feels guilty, like he's dishonoring God, even though he knows that the Bible says that he's not, basically, don't eat the pork. Just let it go. All right? So then, as people were thinking about this, so what do you do if you've invited someone to your house to eat, and they're called the weaker brother? So the weaker brother, he's not saying that in a way that is derogatory. It's just simply this, their state. All right, it's kind of like, uh, we normally don't use the word this way. Normally when we use the word uh, ignorant and we, we say that someone is ignorant, we normally mean that in a very negative way. But it doesn't have to be used that way. Um, so if I'm talking to a brand new believer, I know, let, let's say that I'm talking to a brand new believer, and again, let's say that this is an individual who was raised uh, in China and so never had any contact with Christians, the Bible, etc., so I will know he's ignorant of the Bible. That's not derogatory. He just doesn't know. So he not, has nothing to do with smarts. He's not stupid. He's just ignorant. So I want to disciple him and help him to learn so he's no longer, no longer ignorant. So when it comes to back to this meat issue, if I invite this individual to my house, um, I don't want this individual to stumble. Now, in the Bible, normally, and maybe always, when the word stumble is used in the context of, of Christian life, it's actually a very strong concept. It's the idea of, of stumbling in your faith. So I don't want to have a meal where, let's say, I'm serving uh, hot dogs wrapped in bacon uh, as our main course, and knowing this guy is going to have a problem with eating pork. Um, because I don't want him to stumble in his faith. So some people have misunderstood that and think, well, so if he eats it, he thinks he's sinning. That's my fault. That's not the issue. It's got nothing to do with the individual thinking they're sinning. That might happen, but that's not the stumbling part. The stumbling part is, is the individual stumbles in their faith. All right? And that can happen in two ways. It can happen, A, because... 
I'm, I am uh, serving that. Or it may be that he's only eating vegetables, but he sees me eating pork. And he's thinking, I can't, you know, I can't believe this guy is eating pork. He's sinning against God. So the Bible places on me the responsibility to make sure I don't cause him to stumble. Now, does that mean that I never eat bacon again? No, it doesn't mean that. But it does mean that if I invite him for dinner, I don't serve pork. And I don't try to, I mean, I even heard of someone doing this once, which is ridiculous. They say, well, I made meatloaf and I stuck some bacon in it, but I didn't tell him. You know, and I said, see, you didn't get struck dead and you ate pork. And the person was like, what? <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. That's, that's not what we do as Christians. But the idea is, is that, um, so if I have this guy over, I'm not, I'm not going to serve the hot dogs wrapped in bacon. You know, I'm going to serve turkey or I'm going to serve goat or whatever it is that they can eat. And because I just, that just doesn't need to be an issue. And I need to be strong enough. And if I have to, and we just have to eat carrots and green beans and peas, and that's what we do. Uh, but I'm considering his walk with the Lord. Now, the idea, again, when you read through all the scripture, the idea and the goal is to help that person to grow so that they will not stumble in their faith when they see someone else eating meat. The goal is not necessarily for them to be able to eat pork. They might, but at least help them to mature to where they don't think that everybody else who's eating pork is violating God's command and sinning. So you always want them to grow. That's always the idea. Because some people, unfortunately, have used the idea of the weaker brother as a way to try to manipulate people. Say, well, you shouldn't be doing that because of the, you know, the weaker brother. Or you might cause me to sin, you know, blah, blah, blah. People use that with a lot of different, different issues. This is a, a wrong way to do that. We're not called by God to manipulate people using the Bible or anything else. So we need to have a good mature, fully developed uh, attitude um, as to how to handle that kind of a situation. But this is what he's getting at here when he talks about this whole meat issue and the weaker brother and the stronger brother and then how we handle that. Um, and so the issue is primarily this meat that's offered to idols. So we'll look at it again. So accept anyone who is weak in the faith. So again, so, so let's just say for the sake of argument, David was a Muslim for 30 years before he became a Christian. All right? My goal in life is not to get him to eat pork. Okay? I just accept him the way he is. He thinks it's a sin to eat pork. If it comes up, we can discuss it. But I accept him. Why do I do that? Because God accepts him. Absolutely. There's nothing sinful with his belief or his thought that eating pork is a no-no. Nothing sinful about it. Now, it can become sinful. Now, let's say that he's been a believer for a week, so he shares with other people that it's a sin for them to, share, to, for them to eat pork. I don't, I don't think he's sinning. He's ignorant. But when he learns what the Bible says, but he continues to tell others they're sinning by eating pork, now we've got a problem. Okay, now, and that has to be addressed because he's, he's not represent the scriptures correctly. So we see how that, how that whole thing works. So the idea then for me is that I need to accept him the way he is, period. God accepts him. Um, you know, we always talk about how God accepts people the way they are. 
And we sometimes say that, and then the moment the person gets saved, we want to change everything about them. Just, need, just need, need to relax on a lot of those things. Obviously, if they're involved with something sinful, uh, we want to address it um, uh, with the individual. But the goal is not to suddenly make them look like us. You know, get their hair cut, do this, do that, whatever it happens to be. So that's how he wants them to, uh, to handle this. So he says, don't argue about doubtful issues. So doubtful issues, all that means is where it's not clear cut in the Bible. All right, now there's, there's a lot in the Bible that is black and white. But there are what we call doubtful things. And what, and what that means is, is that, um, again, David believes it's a sin to eat pork. I don't. It's, it's okay. It's, it's, it's not a big deal. When it comes to the really huge issue in our country, uh, you know, can Christians drink a beer? You know, and it's, that's just all over the place. Well, that falls in the category of doubtful issues. The Bible clearly commands you don't get drunk. That's it. Some people have tried to change the Bible and say that Jesus never drank wine. Well, he did. All right? In the Bible, if you're... Jewish, you at least drink wine once a year because you have Passover, and you have there's four cups of wine that you drink. Um, some have tried to say that the, the word translated wine there can be translated as juice. Well, technically it can't. It's a different Greek word. Uh, the Greek word for juice is where we get our English word glucose from. That word's not used. Um, so it was a, an alcoholic beverage. Now, it's not strong like vodka. Um, but the idea was, is it was, that's what it was. So we, we don't change that. Um, Americans are usually the ones that have the biggest hang-up with all of that. Um, but the idea is, is that we, that just doesn't become the issue for us. No matter what side you're on, whether you think it's okay to have a glass of wine or whether you don't think it's okay to have a glass of wine, it's just not a thing. So I've talked to a lot of individuals who, they talk about having this freedom in Christ, but they make too big of a deal that they can have a glass of wine. So I just go ahead and tell them. So it's, just too, it's too important for you. I think you've got a problem. <laughs> I said you are overly excited about your freedom and wanting to flaunt it. There's an issue here. You know, and so they go, oh, you think it's a sin? And I go, well, actually, I don't. But I don't drink. It's not a big thing. I said, but, you know, so we have to, we want to deal with the scripture. There's so much to deal with. That's the last thing we need to do is to make a huge issue out of that. Um, so there are things in the Bible where when you, when you come through them, people can be on different sides and it's, it's okay. So he says, don't argue about those things. Just don't get involved in that um, because it's unimportant. Because again, the main idea is that, that we have accepted that individual. Verse two, so he gives this illustration. One person believes he may eat anything. That would be me, you can eat anything, all right? Uh, but the one who is weak eats only vegetables. So the one who eats, that would be me, that's the one who eats anything, must not look down on those who does not eat. So I don't view them as being inferior to me or any of those things. And the one who does not eat must not criticize the one who does. So when he sees me having a bacon burger, he doesn't, he doesn't criticize me for doing that. We accept each other. All right. Um, I remember the first time when I first met Arnold. Fr when I, oh, that was the first time I met him. Cindy and I were going to have Arnold Frutenbaum over to the house for dinner before we went to the church where he was teaching. So I wasn't sure where Arnold was on all these things, and I had a pretty good idea, 
but I didn't want to assume that. So I called him up, and I said, Arnold. So it's Bob. He goes, yeah, what, what you want? I said, I said, I just got to ask. I think I know the answer, but is it okay if we have ham? <laughs> and he goes, oh, yeah, I love ham. I go, good. <laughs> because not every Messianic Jew is going to want to eat ham because, you know, they don't eat pork either. The Messianic Jews do, most of them. But, and he was cool with that. But I just wanted to make sure. And that was it. Just, you know, just didn't want that to be an issue. Um, we could have made something else, but we didn't have to. Uh, that was good. All right. And again, he says that we don't, we don't look down on the one. We don't criticize the other. Why? Because God has accepted him. The idea is that God has accepted him the way he is. Then he says, who are you to criticize another, another's household slave? So the way that he's viewing us is, back in those days, you have different kinds of slaves. Um, slavery was just a common issue and a common occurrence in almost every country in the world. In this community that Paul is writing to, the Romans, if you were wealthy and you had different kinds of slaves, you had slaves that worked in the fields, you would have slaves that worked in the barns or with the animals, and then you would have certain slaves that would work in the house, and then even in the house, you had certain slaves who might be handling the food, you would also have certain slaves that would help in raising your kids. It's different levels of trust. So when it comes to the slaves that are helping to raise your kids, and in some wealthy Roman families, the slaves were the ones actually raising the kids. That's a very trusted position to, to have that. You wouldn't have necessarily the guy out in the field in the house raising your kid. Uh, in fact, a lot of times it was not unusual. I don't want to say a lot, but it was unusual that um, if a slave owner died, sometimes in their will, household slaves upon their death would be set free. Because you become a slave for all kinds of reasons. You'd be a slave because you owe money. You could, have a you could be a slave because your parents sold you because they had debt. Uh, you could be a slave because the Romans took over your country. I mean, there's all kinds of things that were going on there. So they would be set free. There'd be other times where in, in the, in the uh, household, the, the household slaves might even be considered family. They would be included really in everything. Uh, if, we, if it was an American version of that, we would also then celebrate their birthdays. It wouldn't be like, oh, they're just the help. It wouldn't be viewed that way. There'd be a, a closeness that would be there. So the idea then here is, is when God says don't look down on them or don't criticize them, that's like a household slave. Now, whose household is this? It's God's household. All right, in the family of God. So who are you on the outside to criticize this servant, this slave that belongs to Christ? Well, you're, you're, you are of no importance when it comes to that. You, you don't do that. Just like in the Roman days, you, you do not criticize how an individual treats his slaves. You just didn't do that. Um, and so that's the idea here, is that if I'm criticizing David or David's criticizing me, you're criticizing someone who's very intimately close with the owner of the household, which would be God. That's the picture that Paul is trying to paint for them. So that's why he, when he encourages you then not to do this, that's, that's the kind of thing that's at stake. He says, before his own Lord, he stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. So if what he's doing is right or wrong, 
that's determined by who your Lord or who your master is. A lot of times when we talk about the Lord Jesus Christ, that means the word Lord is often used for master. Okay, so we don't, that's why Christians normally have a kind of a different view of slavery. Slavery is not always the super negative thing. It is the idea um, uh, when it comes to being a slave of Christ. Number one, we are a slave because it, it's like we choose to. Remember we've, we've talked, you may have heard uh, preachers talk about this before, this idea that sometimes a slave might have worked off their debt if, they were, that, if that was the situation where then their master was going to let them go free because they no longer were in, you know, they no longer were in debt to him. So in some cases, that slave might say, you know, my life is better serving you than it would be on the outside. So I want to remain a slave. Most, a lot of people just, they can't imagine that happening because we always, we normally only think of slavery in terms of the kind of slavery that existed in our country. But that's not how slavery is viewed in a lot of places. It, it, that kind does exist, still exists today. But there's, again, different <clears throat> kinds of slavery, I guess, would be the way to describe it. So an individual then would, would they, they would say love slave, but we don't even say that anymore because that has a lot of really bad baggage with it because of all the pornography. But the idea is that individual is choosing to love their master and, and to serve him. So kind of like, kind of like a, an indentured servant. So normally then there would be a ring, especially when you put in the ear of that slave, and that would, that would then indicate to everybody what kind of slave he was. And so that was actually a way to advertise and point to how great the master was. If, if you see an individual and, and he's, he's got some people that are clearly his servants serving him, and these two guys both have this earring, this special earring in their ear, you're like, whoa, those two guys have chosen to remain slaves of this guy. And that, that guy must be great. That's what, that's what that meant. That, that's what that would picture for other people. So that was a real big deal. And so, and that was the, that man, that owner, he was the one who had authority over those individuals. And so the idea here then is this individual stands or falls. He is guilty or not guilty, or he's doing right or he's doing wrong, but only his Lord determines that because he's the one that has the authority. So that's the idea. We serve God. God is who we answer to. Right now, that's not an excuse for us to use to get away with sin, but that, that is still true. God is the one that we answer to. And so that's what Paul is getting at. So he really wants to get into this thing uh, here that when it comes to all these different kinds of issues uh, and the differences between a, someone who's weaker in their faith and those, the one who is stronger, that we treat each other with dignity uh, and with respect. And the reason is, is because we both belong to the Lord. The Lord determines whether we stand or fall. And then the idea is we stand with the Lord. He will make a stand because we've been accepted by Christ. He's always coming back to that uh, here in this passage. So the Lord, again, is able to make him stand. So verse 5, he now is going to continue on dealing with these issues that some Christians during this time were having difficulty with. And here's another one. He says, one person considers one day to be above another. Someone else considers every day to be the same. Each one must be fully convinced in his own mind. Whoever observes the day, that means whatever day you say is special, 
observes it for the honor of the Lord. Whoever eats, eats for the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. And whoever does not eat, it is for the Lord that he does not eat it, yet he thanks God. For none of us lives to himself, and no one dies to himself. So when it comes to this special day business, the easiest way to talk about this by illustration is the idea of Sunday, which Christians normally call the Lord's Day. So I'm one of those individuals who considers every day the same. That's where I'm at. There are some people who do consider the first day of the week to be special. Uh, and they call it the Lord's Day. Now, it's fine to call Sunday the Lord's Day, but that's not in the Bible. It's the first day of the week. So if you want to call it the Lord's Day, that's fine. I'm not going to criticize you for that. You shouldn't criticize me for, you know, sometimes I call it the Lord's Day, but normally I don't. I just call it Sunday. Uh, but wherever you are in that, it's okay. Some Christians call Sunday the Sabbath day. It's not the Sabbath day. Sunday has never been the Sabbath. You read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, the Sabbath is always the same. Sundown Friday to sundown Saturday. Never changes. There's nowhere in the Bible where the early Christians called the first day of the week the Sabbath day. It's not in there. Um, most of the early Christians, which were Jewish, they did worship on the first day of the week. But they also worshipped on the Sabbath. In other words, they were Messianic Jews, that's what we would call them, and they would go to the synagogue on Saturday. And then they would go to church, which sometimes would be the same building, they would just kind of use it because it was in the community, and they would worship God on Sunday. In fact, in the early church, when they went to church on the first day of the week, they went on Saturday night. And when the sun went down Saturday night, that's when they went. So when you read the story in Acts, where Paul preached till midnight, he didn't start at 11 in the morning, like, you know, how we have church. <laughs> all right, Paul started at some point after sundown. So it's still a long sermon, all right? <laughs> but, <laughs> but it wasn't a 12 or 13-hour sermon. Uh, it was closer to five hours. Um, and uh, you remember the guy fell asleep and fell out the window and died, and then Paul raised him back to life. Um, but that was what was going on there. So, so there are those who believe that Sunday is a Sabbath day, and so it's a special day. And that's okay. It's all right. Um, the, I, now, my, I would personally say the main thing is at least be consistent. So a, someone who truly believes that Sunday is a Sabbath, that would then mean that they don't even go out to eat. Because when you follow the rules of the Sabbath, you don't make anyone else work either. If you go out to eat, someone's serving you. So you wouldn't even do that. Um, and it would be a day where you would do nothing except rest and maybe talk about the Bible and read Scripture and that be it. Um, and that's fine. Those who do that, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, if you decide uh, you need to mow your yard on Sunday, it's not a sin. All right? It's okay. It's, it's not a sin before God. Um, so again, the idea there is, and so he gets back into, so how do we approach this? How are we thinking? So he describes again each person. So again, there's my group of individuals, uh, I mean, the other, those who, who believe one day is above another, one person considers one day to be above another. That would be the guy, let's say, who wants to honor the Sabbath, honor the Lord by honoring the Sabbath. And he wants to even call Sunday the Sabbath, which it isn't, but that's okay if he wants to do that. So one else considers every day to be the same. Again, that's me. Each one must be fully convinced in his own mind. So the idea there is, 
So let's say that um, I'm talking to Nick, and Nick is Nick considers Sunday to be the Lord's Day. He calls the Lord's Day. I don't. And so we have this discussion about this. And so he thinks that my arguments make sense. And so he's decided he's no longer going to follow the idea that Sunday is the Lord's Day. But he's not convinced. He thinks my arguments are good, but he's not convinced. He needs to hold off on changing his behavior until he becomes convinced. So if he wants, to, so he just keeps on honoring it the way he has, because he, who is he doing it for? He's supposed to be doing it for the Lord, not for himself, not for others. It's one of those things that's between him and God. So that's that's the that's what's important there uh, when it comes to that. Um, God commands us to worship. We are that's clearly what it is. God also there's a pattern in the Bible. The pattern that we see in the Bible is that Christians the norm is they get together on the first day of the week. So I think that, I do think that's what's best. I would never say it's a sin to worship on another day, but the pattern in Scripture is the first day of the week. Why? Because that was the day of the week that the Lord was raised from the dead. And so that's, that's what we do. Um, and that's why in our country, in European countries, in African countries, throughout most countries in the world, for Christians, the main day of worship is the first day of the week. That's when they get together uh, to worship. And so I'm convinced that we should do that. But again, I'm not convinced that the day by itself, just because it is that day, is necessarily special or unique. Um, uh, I, now, that doesn't mean that I think worship is just a common thing, because I don't think that. I think that, that you know, we need to be wholeheartedly committed to that. Uh, I was raised by my dad, who was absolutely convinced of that. So when I was growing up, I never played baseball. I don't think I really missed anything. But I never had an opportunity because where I grew up, all the team, when I was younger, all the teams had games or practices on Sunday. And, and I'd asked, I guess at one time, if I could play baseball. And he said, well, if we can find one that doesn't practice or play on Sunday or will let you miss Sunday, absolutely. Well, it didn't exist. So guess what? I didn't play because we were going to go to church on Sunday. I remember uh, when I was in high school, our football team never practiced on Sunday, except one year, there was one week, the coach was going to uh, practice on Sunday. And so I had to go tell him, I said, Coach, I, I can't come. And I knew, I already knew, because I already knew my, my dad's mindset. Didn't matter what the reason was, didn't matter it was only once, it wasn't going to happen. And if that meant then the coach was going to kick me off the team, there's nothing I can do about it. Now, I didn't, I, I didn't know what the coach was going to do. I had no idea. I've never had to tell my coach, I'm not doing something. You just don't do that. So I went to him and I told him. And so he, he said, fine, not a problem. And uh, then, of course, he did the great thing. Uh, he announced to the team that they were having practice on Sunday. And he said, now, if, you, if you're in church on Sunday, you can miss. And he said, there's only one of you that I know is going to be in church on Sunday. And that's Dimmit. <laughs> so all the rest of you need to be at practice. You know, I guess he could have said all the rest of you pagans. But anyway, uh, but the idea was, is, is so, so he did consider it special in that sense. Nothing is going to interfere with worship. So I believe that. I believe nothing should take the place of worship. So 
just kind of throw this out there. So there are some churches, because of their size and limited space, they have services Friday night, Saturday night, and Sunday. I don't think that's a sin. What I, what I have a problem with is the uh, individual saying, well, this week we're going to go to church, we're going to go to the Friday night service, because I want to go to a game on Sunday. And, but then the next week we need to go to the Sunday service because we have friends coming in on Friday. I don't think that's good. I don't think that's a good idea. I, because what you're doing there to me is the priority is not God and worship. It's your private life. So if you're going to attend a service, you need to pick the same one, and that's when you go, and you go all the time. Now, I still think it's pre preferable that you go on Sunday, but I know because of work, there's all kinds of things. You know, we don't, we don't really live in a Christian nation, so it used to be that no matter where you worked, if you want a Sunday off for church, you get it. That's not how it is anymore. So I know there's all those, these different nuances. But the main thing is that we need to be consistent, and we need to be fully convinced in our minds. And that's what he's getting at here with all of this. So again, be fully convinced in your mind. Verse 6, whoever observes the days, if you want to observe the special day for you honor the Lord, that's what you do. Then he goes right back to what he mentioned before. If you eat, that means that's the guy who eats anything. You eat for the Lord, since he gives, he gives thanks to God. Then whoever does not eat, that's the one who does not eat the meat, it is for the Lord that he does not eat it, yet he thanks the Lord. Why is all this going on? For none of us lives to himself, and no one dies to himself. If we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. That's it. That's to be our motivation. Uh, and I, that issue's come up with me several times just because I'm a pastor. You know, I'm, if I'm talking to an individual, sometimes, because I don't start out by saying, hey, I'm, you know, like, when I go to the gym to lift weights and I meet a new guy, I don't go, hey, I'm Pastor Bob. I don't do that. I just say I'm Bob, all right? Uh, if I say I'm Pastor Bob, all kind of weird things happen, <laughs> all right? And I, want, I don't want to inhibit any conversation. But then when it comes out, uh, which I'm, it's not a secret, but when it comes out, you know, you get all kind of, Different comments. People, they get all weird sometimes. They don't know how to act. So sometimes what will happen is they go, oh, so I guess you got to go to church on Sunday. That has happened. And I always tell them, uh, it wouldn't really matter if I was a pastor or not. I need to go, on, I need to, go to church on Sunday because it's the right thing to do. God, God wants me to worship him. I go because I'm a Christian. I don't go to church because I'm a pastor. If I only went to church because I was a pastor, then this church has the wrong pastor. Right? There's something wrong somewhere with that thinking. So, so I just use it as an opportunity to explain to them, I don't do that because I'm a pastor. I do that because I'm a Christian. Or somebody say, oh, I guess you don't lie. Or they'll say even weirder stuff. Well, I guess you don't go out and drink and pick up girls. You know? <laughs> and I'm like, no, I don't do that. And I go, but if I wasn't a pastor, I wouldn't do that because I'm a Christian. I want to know that's the thing. That's, that's who we live for. And that's what Paul is getting at here. He, he wants them to understand this is how we are to live. This is our mindset uh, as individuals. We do what we do because we love the Lord. And it's a, it's a great thing to be able to do. So whenever you, if you're talking to an individual and you say that you go to church every Sunday, some people may say things like, um, like, what, do you have to go? That's when you sh I think you should say, well, I mean, kind of, but I, I want to go. That's what you want them to get. You want them to understand you're making this choice because whether you, however you phrase it, because of what God's done for you or however you want to get into that. But the idea is, well, it's kind of true, but that's not why I go. 
or if, or if you, uh, um, let's say they, you know, they make a comment, you pray before you eat. And they go, Do you, you know, uh, that's a good habit you have. Well, yeah, but it's, it's, but I want, it's a habit I want to do. You know, whatever it happens to be. The idea is, is that, you know, we, are, we do this because we're, we're Christians. Um, sometimes people, like, there's been times where I'll go to a store and someone may give me back too much change or whatever. And I go, oh, no, you, you did it wrong. And I'll give money back. And they go, um, oh, you're so honest. Well, you could just say, well, thanks, you know. Or, or you could say, well, I, I am a Christian. It's a great thing to say. Because you may, who knows what you may hear. I have even people tell me, well, I've known Christians before. They wouldn't give me the money back. <laughs> All right? But that gives you another opportunity to say, well, you know what? I'm sorry you've experienced that. But those who truly love Christ, another way to talk about who is a Christian is, they should not do that. The Lord wants us to be honest, and that's what I'm going to do. But the key is, you know, so like sometimes what we can say is, well, my mama may, raised me right. Well, your mother may have raised you right, but I don't think the emphasis should be on your mama. The emphasis should be, well, I'm, because a lot of individuals were raised by their mother's right, and they still steal money. So the idea is, no, that's, I'm a Christian, and Christians don't do that. Uh, period. He says, well, you're so nice to help me. Or you've been so patient. Well, I'm a Christian. Of course, that'd be taken a lot of ways. If I wasn't a Christian, I'd be angry because you've taken forever. But, <laughs> but the idea is, is that you want to get back to, to who Christ is. And that's why we live the way we live. And I think that's, I think that's very important. Uh, first of all, for us to adopt that mindset. But then also when we have opportunities to let others know that. It's, a, it's, a, it's another way uh, to begin to introduce people to Christianity. It does put the spotlight on you to a degree, but again, you're immediately deflecting it to, to who Christ is. Um, we do want people to know, because uh, some people will say it this way, and, and it's okay for them to say it this way, but we do want people to know that there are real Christians. You know, everybody who says they're a Christian is not a Christian. Not everybody who says they're a Christian acts like a Christian. We want to draw attention to the fact that there is a way that a believer should act. And I'm not perfect, but I'm trying to live that way because I love Christ and because Christ loves me. And that's, that's why I'm doing this. Um, I had an opportunity the other day, I was at Kroger, and I went through the, self, uh, the self-checkout, which I do often, and I wasn't even thinking about it. Um, paid for my groceries, left, said goodbye to the lady, got to my truck, threw all the stuff in the, in the truck, came home, unloaded it, and then I remembered... I never paid for the water. I bought two cases of water. It was on the bottom part of the rack. I, I usually try to, you, know, you grab it. I just, I didn't think about it. It's like, oh, man. And so I, I said, okay, I've got to go back and pay for this. So, and I know I'm going to forget things, you know, because you, you can forget and not intend to. So I, I, I took the, uh, the receipt and I just put on there water and then I stuck it to my dashboard so that I would remember. And so the next day I went. And because uh, I had to go to make another run to Kroger. And so I told the lady there, I, I, said, I said, I don't know how to go about doing this. I said, but I walked out of here yesterday with two cases of water and I didn't pay for them. I said, I need to, you know, make up for that. And she said, well, I said, nope. <laughs> you know, I know she's trying to be nice. I go, nope. <laughs> Just do I need to go get a case of water and bring it over? I mean, how do we do this? She goes, no, I got a card right here. She had this big old card with all these barcodes on it. She, I said, okay, great. 
right? And she looked at me, she goes, and she said, you're that pastor, aren't you? <laughs> I don't know what she meant by that pastor, but I said, I said, well, yes, I said, but I'm a Christian. And, and you know, the, the Lord tells us we need, we need to be honest. And it's a, I'm just doing, it's the right thing for me to do. I, I took the water and you pay for it. And she said, well, you're right. <laughs> so I don't know if there would be another opportunity later. I have no idea. Uh, but again, the idea is, is, is to, to live that way uh, because we want to bring glory to Christ. And so that's what we do. And that's what he's getting at here when it comes to all these different kinds of things. Okay, so just verse 8 will be done. All right, so he says, so if we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. So, may, so basically all he means is in life and in death. Every aspect of life, it is for the Lord. Therefore, or because that's true, um, whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. So, and that, that's becoming a bigger, bigger concept in our society today because a lot of people have identity issues. You know, they don't feel like they belong, and so they, they go through a bunch of confusion. So that's the idea. We belong to Christ. And because of that, we then are expected to behave in a certain way. They do a lot of team sports. Um, there was one year where a lot of the different teams had just the word belong on their shirt. You know, they always pick a phrase or a word for the teams to rally around when they have sports. So the word belongs one of them. So with a team sport, the idea is, is that we do what we do because we belong. We all work hard. We all run, you know, till we throw up. We all do this. We all do that. You know, but we're all doing this because we belong. We, we all need each other to be successful as a team, that kind of idea. Um, and it's to give people that sense of identity. Well, it's the same thing then in life as Christians, is we belong to the Lord. And so we need to think that way, and that's what Paul wants them to understand. You don't live for yourself. You know, independence is a great thing. And, you know, our country celebrates rugged individualism. And that's good as far as it goes. But we are not an island. We don't live for ourselves. We live for Christ. And that's, that's what he's trying to get them to, to grasp. All this stuff we've been coming about in salvation you know, culminates in, in this when it comes to living our life. Anyway, so we'll stop there and uh, we'll continue on next week. Father, we thank you again for your life, and we thank you, Lord, for your death and your death for us. We thank you, Lord, again, that we have been forgiven of our sins. We thank you, Father, that we do belong to you. We thank you, Father, for the security that gives to us, for the contentment that we have, the blessings that are secured for us because we belong to you. We thank you, Lord, for not only the identity we have, but, uh, again, the security and the contentment that is ours because we belong to Christ. We ask you would lead us, guide us, and direct us. We ask, Lord, that you would help us to live in a way that pleases you. We pray, Lord, that as we think about these things that we've read tonight, we ask, Lord, that they would have an impact on the way we live and an impact on how we come across to others. Help us, Father, to be consistent with our proclamation that we believe in Christ. Father, we ask now again you keep us safe as we depart. We do thank you again for being able to gather. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.